Welcome to Thinking Like a Lawyer, with your hosts, Ellie Mistal and Joe Patrice, talking about legal news and pop culture, all while thinking like a lawyer, here on Legal Talk Network. Hello, welcome to another edition of Thinking Like a Lawyer. I'm Joe Patrice from Above the Law. This is the part where I would normally introduce my colleague, Ellie Mistal, who said he was on his way to the recording and has not managed to make it here. We're hoping that that's uh, nothing bad has happened, but Catherine Rubino has graciously stepped in, at least uh, temporarily here. So, I mean, we could have him barrel in in a minute. We'll never know. Well, Ellie barreling into a situation happens quite frequently. Right. So, you know, yeah, never rule it out, but uh, I'm here anyway. Yeah. So, uh, unfortunately, because we uh, did this last minute, we did not come up with our standard run-through of a ESPN hot legal show. Topics. ESPN show about hot legal topics. True. Yeah. True, true. Yeah, so... So we're just going to riff for a little bit. Yeah. Well, That's I mean, fine. the issue is we, like, I know that you were thankfully here. I was trying to get a hold of Ellie, but I just, you know, I, I just couldn't. And you know why? 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 I mean, he was just missing his calls, and that's something bad. And that's why I like to point out that if you're missing calls or spread too thin, interruptions kill your productivity, but clients demand a quick response. The U.S.-based professional receptionists at Smith AI help law firms screen new clients and schedule appointments by phone and website chat. Plus, Smith AI integrates with your software, including Clio and LawPay. Plans start at just $60 per month. Get a free trial at smith.ai. Was that... Very uh, natural. Yeah. No, I tried. Yeah. So... What's going on in legal news this week? Uh, this is becoming kind of like, we, we've actually descended to the point where we're like that bad Larry King period where he just basically read a paper on TV. <laughs> this is what's going on in the news today. <laughs> uh, yeah, you actually wrote a story today. Um, Did I? about Alan Dershowitz recently filed a mm. motion uh, to have uh, David Boyes dismissed from the case. And Boyes Schiller and, as a whole. Yeah. As a whole. Kicked off the case, which I guess you can talk a little bit about it. Yeah. Alan Dershowitz, uh, Harvard Law professor, he got some fire for representing Jeffrey Epstein, who's a convicted sex offender, uh, who got a a deal that is remarkably light considering what he was doing. He, by... All accounts, I think this is a fair description, he was trafficking underage girls. And he managed to get a slap on the wrist from current Secretary of Labor, Alex Acosta, actually, is who gave him that uh, slap on the wrist, partially negotiated by Dershowitz. And one of the things that one of the women who was underage at the time, now an adult, actually a few of them have suggested that Dershowitz was involved in this scheme uh, tangentially. Uh, mm -hmm. He has denied it repeatedly. Sure. He claims that he settled those those claims and was exonerated and that mm -hmm. the people he settled with declared that it was a mistake. Those people now say that is not what we said. Yeah. Uh, he said that he would like anybody who disagrees with him to sue him. Uh, and? At which point, Boyce Schiller represents one of the formerly underaged girls, she did sue. That's where we sit. Right. Uh, first thing that Dershowitz did was attempt to disqualify BSF. He has long argued that BSF is trying to extort him, apparently by representing 
a plaintiff. That's extortion. It's not particularly clear. Uh, But he also has a different claim, which is that he, for a while, spoke with a BSF attorney about potentially representing him. And then that attorney, about a week later, wrote back and said that actually there was a conflict. And that claim is also a reason he says that they mm-hmm. should be dismissed, disqualified. Well, the thing you actually wrote about today yeah. is that the motion for dismissal was resolved, at least temporarily. Well, temporarily. Uh, yeah, this motion to disqualify actually violated several of the judge's rules, uh, bringing us to the practice point lesson read the judge's individual rules. Right, and that's something that I actually thought was pretty interesting and and, and seems to be a bit of a trend. Out in California, there's a class action or purported class action lawsuit being filed against Jones Day. We've covered it extensively um, Mm -hmm. on our website. Um, But uh, Jones Day moved uh, in the lawsuit that was filed by a bunch of former associates, four of which are Jane Doe plaintiffs, so they're anonymous. And um, Jones Day filed a motion to uh, have those plaintiffs be revealed, saying that they should not be allowed to continue anonymously. Um, they did, had gotten permission from the judge ahead of time. but And the response from plaintiffs was filled with all sorts of shade because they had not sought a meet and confer ahead of time, and that is also in that judge's local rules. And so there appears to be a, a bit of an epidemic of not reading the local rules before you file motions. I mean, one of, one of the rules violated in the Dershowitz case was the the page length of the brief, <laughs> yeah. which you've got to think at least if you're doing nothing else. Right. It, it does seem like from my experience in practice, and I'm sure from yours as well, like double-checking the rules before you hit send – yeah, it was just it, it, like a. I mean, a default. I mean, you always did that. You always had a junior associate do it, and then rechecked it yourself because just in case they read the wrong rules yeah. for some reason. I yeah. mean, it, it it just seems like such a basic practice tip that it's it's very interesting. Yeah, no, and I I have been on the wrong side of that once. Uh, oh no! Oh no! <laughs> oh no! And and I am going to. Um, I was on the right side of it, but. Uh, superiors disagreed, uh. Uh, and I kept saying we we can't file this; it's too long. And people said, "No, it, I'm sure it's just it'll a be fine." Yeah, um, and the judge was disagreed. less than happy. <laughs> well, that is why they put it in there. Uh, I believe list. handwriting on the outs just sent us back the motion with handwriting on the front of it saying, "Is this a joke?" <laughs> like, <laughs> Uh, I guess. <laughs> yeah. So that was that was that was a bad day. Although in that instance, the real issue, the real problem there, to be completely honest, was I think it would have been different if my firm had been acting alone. But it was mm. one of those situations where there were multiple co-counsel mm. doing different things, and everybody wanted to say their own piece. So, it, so the page limit. I mean, quadrupled. I'm sure. <laughs> I mean, the thing ended up being a hundred pages. I wrote four paragraphs for my specific client. So I I mean I understood we were very conscious of keeping it in the <laughs> limit, but others disagreed and then we got in trouble. So well, it sounds like you deserved it and a valuable lesson oh, learned. Oh absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> valuable lesson learned. Yes. Follow the rules. That doesn't seem like that large a burden to place on litigants. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so that's what's going on in that case. Uh, they've now finally mo- they've moved to refile their motion properly. We'll see 
what Judge Preska thinks of that. But it's always fun because as like I mean this is this is a this is a case that's going to be interesting to watch because it's one that certainly Professor Dershowitz has wanted to have for a long time, at least publicly. He claims he does. Sure. He wants to have this settled once and for all. So he cares a great deal about it. Uh, and I know that the BSF attorneys on it, who um, Sigrid McCauley is the is the lead on it, uh, she's very passionate about her client's rights, and so it'll be very interesting. For sure. I'm sure we will keep up with it uh, yeah. above the law. Well, that's that. Uh, and we got through that with no sound effects. Oh, so, no. Yeah, no. <laughs> so what else What else is going on in the wide world of uh, of law? Well, this is why I tell you preparation is so important. Well, I agree. I think preparation <laughs> is important. Well, um, I guess uh, from my perspective, okay. uh, a big thing that happened to me is that uh, Fox News decided to talk about one of my articles Oh yes, that's a, some personal news. You, that, is, that did happen. I mean, yeah. they don't—they didn't want to talk to me. They just wanted to talk about me, which you know, listen, gets my foot in the door, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but I—I had written an article about Justice Kavanaugh's hired all women to be all his his law clerks, and in a comments to um, a judicial conference, uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg complimented him for that fact, and. You know, listen, I have great respect for Ruth Bader Ginsburg. The podcast I host it pays homage to her and the jabot that she wears when she reads dissents from the bench. And it's, it's you know, whatever. Yeah. I have great respect for her. But I um, I disagree that, that Justice Kavanaugh deserves any sort of compliments or respect for having um, a bunch of women as his law clerks. Well, uh, well, okay. Let, let's let's unpack that, dude. Sure. Is it? I don't. I don't know as though that's necessarily fair. I mean, obviously, there's some value to, especially the way in which hmm. Supreme Court clerkships end up on resumes and stuff. There's there's obviously some diversification value to giving this basically legal industry chit to to people who are traditionally underrepresented. Sure, but I also think that given the cloud that uh, Kavanaugh took the bench under, which obviously for those who were in a coma for the last year and a half, (laughs) included, you know, very powerful testimony from Dr. Christine Blasey Ford alleging that uh, he attempted to rape her when he was in uh, high school. And I think that there was a lot of outrage um, about from women in particular about his eventual confirmation. Personally, I know that tons of women who would otherwise either be uninterested in politics and certainly not in the sort of nuance or the the little uh, the Supreme Court were very upset by it. I think that um, Dr. Ford's testimony was very powerful, and I think that it very much felt like a slap in the face to lots of women, particularly when, you know, the longest-serving justice at this point, uh, Clarence Thomas, had allegations of sexual harassment at him at the time that Mm -hmm. he was confirmed. And that's all kind of back in the news, you know, with Joe Biden running. He was in charge of the uh, committee at the time that Clarence Thomas was confirmed. And so I think that, you know, being able to say, look it, I hired a bunch of women is a way of sort of whitewashing um, the testimony that happened. And I don't think that it is near sufficient enough. And I think that it is problematic that we try to pin these awards on people in order to so that we forget what really happened. And so that, you know, it becomes merely a footnote to that person's biography and says, look at this fantastic champion of women. The first ever all female law clerk Mm, class was was Justice Kavanaugh, and I 
do not care. I care a lot more about Dr. Ford's Ford's testimony as well as, you know, the the actual substance of what his decisions are likely to be. There's a lot of concern amongst court watchers and the general public, frankly, that um, Roe v. Wade is under attack and that the current composition of the court is unlikely to do much to save Roe v. Wade. And I don't care how many women uh, law clerks participate in writing or or are part of the majority on that brief. I care about whether or not reproductive freedom in this country is protected. Mm. Those are things I care about. And that's what Fox uh, decided to hone in on you for. Yeah. 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 Which, you know, they, I think I, I think I made it a good point that it's more about just kind of getting these awards. It's about actual substance. And one of those, one of those clerks we discovered is going to be Tiger Mom Amy Chua's daughter, uh, which brings us back to mm. if Ellie were here, he would point out that. He would love to crow about this. In fact, the fact that he doesn't get to, and you should prevent him in future episodes from bringing this back up because <laughs> it has already been covered, Ellie. Had you been on time, you would have been able to toot your own horn. Yeah, when all this was going down, Amy Chua, was, who teaches at Yale, was a big supporter of mm-hmm. Kavanaugh and Ellie And said, she runs the clerkship the clerkship program, program there, at yeah. yeah. Ellie was very quick to say that her defenses of him seemed very much like uh somebody angling to get their daughter a job. Her daughter, they then wrote Ellie uh, on social media and explained that that's not really going to happen. You don't know what you're talking about. I'm going into the JAG Corps. I'm not going to be on the Supreme Court anytime. Anyway, so she, fast forward, she's a Supreme Court She's clerk. one of the women yeah. that... Literally, literally everything she said to Ellie was a lie. Yeah. Uh, maybe not a lie at the time. Yeah. Maybe she thought at the time she wasn't going to. But everything Ellie predicted uh, about why... Folks would uh, come to his defense in order to sweeten the pot for their own kids. Uh, All appears to have come to fruition. Yeah, you know, Ellie was right. Uh, And and whether it was a deliberate lie or some sort of a misunderstanding misunderstanding or, you know, a genuine disbelief in what the future held, uh, I don't know. I won't sort of pretend to know. But the reality is, you know, when you say something very publicly and very forcefully, this is not going to happen. This is me speaking. You know, I I think that when you turn around and do the exact opposite, for whatever reasons, you know, it it leaves a lot of questions and frankly, a bad taste in a lot of folks' mouth. I think that's right. Well, speaking of bad tastes, the legal academy, let's talk about that for a little bit. Okay. So law schools... They constantly are raising tuition. They claim they need all this money in order to function. They do. Uh, they, it's unclear exactly why they need all this extra money that they never needed before. Uh, a right, because it's it, certainly, they're not just raising tuition as per inflation. It is right. increasing significantly at a, greater, at a much greater rate than inflation would dictate. Now, historically, we've zoned in on some issues. Uh, Paul Campos, for instance, has done a lot of work on this that Capital improvements, you know, mm-hmm. new buildings are a huge part, but also inflated salaries for unnecessary administrators, the sure. deputy assistant dean of intramural sports or whatever uh, <laughs> is certainly that gets 180 grand. There's actually online a word generator that you can hit that will just give you your academic title. And a proposed salary. Amazing, amazing. Yeah, if you hit it, it gave me something like deputy liaison to the president for the 
issue of dining plans 190,000 or something like well, that. Well, that, that's um, nice. So given this, you would think if they were going to raise all this money, it was going into the process of hiring people. One law school is trying not to spend money hiring people. Yeah, that's a, a story that's kind of been blowing up today. Yeah, Tulane Law School um, posted a job advertisement um, in a couple of different places, uh, advertising for an adjunct professor. Okay, sounds fine. Sure. But it's a volunteer position, and they make it extra clear in the body of the description that adjunct professors are a non-paid position at the law school. So they are looking for, and if you look at the full description, it is exactly the responsibilities you expect any adjunct professor to have, you know, responsible for class and their specialty, whatever. And they're looking for free labor, so, I mean, and the thing that really kind of was was galling, I mentioned this a little bit in the article, but, you know, Tulane, not only is it a reasonably prestigious university, uh, law school in particular, uh, but they also charge somewhere, I think it's $56,000 in tuition, which out exceeds the average law school tuition, which is about $47,000. Mm. They charge more than average, and they're still trying to get something for free here. Yeah. It just seemed, you know, and I think that, in particular, I think a lot of academics across the board, whether they're uh, in the legal um, space or any sort of university uh, professional, are very upset about this. You know, professors are not paid handsome sums by and large. You know, yeah. The average professor, particularly adjunct professor, is not it's not becoming rich off of their work. And the notion that someone's willing to give it out for free um, really is problematic in, in terms of you know, that person, first of all, has the ability to do a bunch of work for free, which implies that they have a lot more means than than maybe is average. But it in a, also kind of devalues the amount of money that universities have to spend for other adjuncts and other specialties and other places besides mm -hmm. the law school. And it really undermines really the whole academic proposition. Yeah. You know, we're talking about spending a lot on professors, and that transitions me to another big story that's been going on, which is that the University of Alabama Law mm. School has voted, their trustees voted, of the Alabama system, voted to return some $26 million to Seems their like donor. Uh, the biggest donor in school history, Hugh Culverhouse Jr., donated this money, actually made some advance payments on it, and they voted to return it. Culverhouse went public and said that a lot of it was to do with the criticism that he'd made of the state government uh, vis-a-vis -vis the most recent abortion bill. It now looks like the, the school released some emails suggesting, that purported to say, that's not why he was, you know, we took his name off the door and gave him his money back. We made that decision before... Uh, he made any comments about that. Maybe. <laughs> it, it does appear as though, at least before he made public comments, sure. that that decision was made. Though they, their whole universe of emails suggesting that there was a problem dates only to the day after the abortion bill was passed. And <laughs> well, that <laughs> seems, when you read them, this gets to where why I transitioned to paying top dollar for people. It read very much as a series of miscommunications mm. where he would say something like, I'm endowing a professorship. I don't want it just to be another random tenured professor. I want you to spend big, big bucks to go out and try and poach somebody from a top tier school. 
which is a perfectly reasonable request for somebody. It certainly seems putting that money way. In. You know, I'm giving a lot of money to this law school. I would like it to be a great law school academically. Exactly. exactly. Uh, it now, doesn't seem ridiculous. Now, the reaction to it from the school's side is he's trying to meddle and determine and decide as a non-faculty member who gets to be on the faculty, which would be an accreditation problem. Sure. Which it would be. Sure. However, there is but. nothing <laughs> in these emails unless you have the most bizarre read of them mm-hmm. to suggest that's what he's saying. Right. He's literally just saying, I'm upset that you appear to be looking only at candidates who are, you know, perfectly fine educators, but not the sort of T14 big name. big name that I thought I was giving you extra money to go out and get. Because mm-hmm. that's really the thing. He made these advanced payments with the idea that this was going to be money used sooner than the endowment agreement suggested. In order to make an academic In order splash. to make a splash. Yeah. Um, so yeah, there was nothing particularly overstepping about it, but they read it as like you read these internal emails and they've clearly decided to build this case that he's mm-hmm. trying to meddle, even though it doesn't really look like, unless you have a very disingenuous reading, that that's what he's trying to do. But alas, so, but that's where I was saying as far as how schools just aren't spending their money mm. on faculty. They're spending it. Not when they can get it for free. Yeah. They're trying to get that for free. They're spending it on deanships. They're spending it on buildings. Ave Maria Law School's just spent some $2 million to build a wellness center, uh, <laughs> I guess. Um, you, know, uh, you might want to, they might want to spend some of that money in, into bar passage programs. Yeah, yeah. right. They have, like, I think, a 53% passage yeah. rate. I mean, I got nothing against wellness centers it's good for people to be well sure and and it's true that law school is a particularly stressful time sure and you know making sure uh, students have the ability and the tools necessary in order to deal with that additional stress is very important particularly to go into the legal profession that is noted for having a lot of mental health and addiction issues you know that that is an important thing there was a study that uh, Mm -hmm. kaplan had done um saying that the major you know some high percentage of law students did not think that there was enough mental health services on their at their schools. And that is that is something that's very real and and kind of the background to this. But when only 53% of your student body is able to pass the bar, which is obviously a necessary step in order to become a lawyer and to be a practicing lawyer who makes money from their from their education that they've spent a lot of money on um Perhaps, you know, and I'm not sure that wellness is the reason why such a high percentage of their student body is failing the bar. Yeah, it was just, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know, man. Like, and a lot of it is um, a diet program, too. They have some weird, like, vegan, quasi-vegan diet they're trying to make everyone do. Well, I mean. As opposed to building a cafeteria. That's the other thing. Nutrition is important, I guess. (laughs) Like, rather than spend this money to if you're going to make capital improvements rather sure. than a cafeteria it is to run a weird diet class and have a wellness center um i mean for a school that's based on you know mediocre pizza <laughs> i mean this is this is the law school founded by the former head of domino's with all of his domino's money I did not realize that, and that oh, makes it didn't? super funny. Yeah, no, that's this is this so, is this is Pizza University. Rule rule number one: don't eat Domino's. 
<laughs> uh, you know what? I'm going to disagree uh, in case they want to sponsor this show. Uh, but no, I, I, I'm going to disagree. Listen, like, I like I can eat some Domino's. I, Don't feel, it, I feel as though they've, they've turned the corner. I will say that when they were run by the guy who created Ave Maria Univer- University Law School, they were fairly bad pizza. But I think they've improved. I'm not saying as it goes as pizza, but you know, pizza is not a staple of healthy dieting. Oh, you were going that way. I was just saying, you know, like no one needs like uh, a pasta bread bowl. Yeah, that is a bit extreme. And if they're gonna, I mean, that, that is, that is not really a tip for healthy living. That's up there with the KFC Famous Bowl. It's a Another lot. potential sponsor. <laughs> the Famous Bowl. I, yeah. I need a Famous Bowl. It's fine. Yeah, yeah. Whatever. You would? I don't know. Oh. I mean. It's just like everything mashed together. It's. Well, are you one of those people that like needs to eat like, you know, divide lines in your, in your food so that your mashed potatoes don't touch your corn? To borrow a line from Patton Oswalt speaking about this very subject, yes, I like my food to be separated like an adult with dignity. <laughs> my, my point was very specific, which is that when you're trying to encourage healthy eating, you probably aren't eating a ton of Tomino's. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. Yeah, all right. Well, so we've covered a lot of ground. We have. We just Is there anything in. anything else you want to cover? I feel like those those are kind of our big stories. There's been the, a lot going on. Yeah, that's a, that that's that's the big that's the big picture of things. Yeah. Yeah. Especially well, if we're staying out of the political realm, which Right, which I mean, yeah. we don't have Ellie, so we don't need to. Well, and also, I mean, things are very rapid fire in yeah. that world. I feel like if people want care about politics, you can probably watch there are probably other podcasts that are yeah. ideal for you. All right. Well, thank you all for listening and suffering through this uh, planless episode. I frankly think we winged it pretty well. Well, you know, we we do like to talk. Yeah. So, so. I mean, listen, someone just wants me to talk for twenty minutes. I don't, I don't know how to get paid just to do that. But uh. fair enough. Well, thanks for for listening to the show. You should be subscribed to the show, of course, so that you can get each new episode directly onto your device. You should also leave us reviews, the stars, as well as writing something, because the more that gets written, the more they pick up on it and realize, hey, this is a legal podcast, and then they recommend it to people. You should stop random strangers on the street, tell them that you listen to this show and that they should, too. Hey, do you need a new podcast? Yeah. Let me tell you. People collect podcasts. People do. Anyway, uh, you should listen to the Jabot Catherine's Jabot podcast. You should listen to all of the various offerings from the Legal Talk Network. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter. I'm at Joseph Patrice. She's at Catherine One, spelled K-A-T-H-R-Y-N, the numeral one, the Arabic numeral. Um, as, <laughs> I think we should say that as yeah. much as possible. So people Arabic don't get numeral, confused. yeah. As opposed to robot, yeah. But no, you saw there was some study recently where people are like, we should ban. Yes, it is not just a plot line from Veep, right? Like, it is actually a real thing. People are like, Arabic numerals, let's do away from them. Like, you know the alternative is Roman numerals, right? Right. Like, you can't tell time when your watch is like that. Yeah. All right. And thank you, of course, to Smith AI for sponsoring. We will be in Read Above the Law, and we will be back in the very near future. And Ellie appears to be alive because he just walked in. So those of you might be worried. One minute too late. All right. (laughs) Bye. If you'd like more information about what you've heard today, please visit LegalTalkNetwork.com. You can also find us at AboveTheLaw.com, ATLRedline.com, iTunes, RSS, Twitter, and Facebook.
The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer.